So we are in the middle of this amazing chapter 38, and let's get a broader picture of where we are so we understand, we, we approach this note from Kabbalah with a deeper understanding. Chapter 38 really brought to a culmination what we started learning in chapter 35, and it's really all about just get it done. The main aspect of every mitzvah is get it done. Do the act, say the words. That's the most important component because our soul, no matter how much love and fear it's going to feel in this world, even if it's going to be the soul of a most sublime tzaddik, somebody on a very lofty level who is going to have the highest levels of love for Hashem, it's never going to feel what it felt when it was above. Clearly, it didn't come down here for that. For the feelings, that's not what it came down here. Do we need the feelings? Absolutely, for many reasons. We need the feeling in order to propel us, to make this relationship real, align our consciousness with Hashem. But the point is not the feelings. The point is the action, because the action makes a home for Hashem in this world. It utilizes a world, it utilizes a body, it utilizes an animal soul, things that naturally hide Hashem and comes, allows these things to express their true deep core that there's nothing else besides Hashem. So the main focus is just do it. And then the altar started this chapter by saying, now that we know this, we understand the halacha, that if somebody says the words, but doesn't have proper intention, it counts. If somebody had all the proper intentions, but didn't actually say the words, it doesn't count. Because the main thing is just get it done. And then he said, let's examine mitzvah and kavana. Because our sages have compared mitzvah and kavana to body and soul. They said, tefillah, prayer without kavana, and this applies to a mitzvah too, without kavana, is like a body without a soul. And he didn't mean a lifeless body. He meant a body having life of its own and a soul having life of its own. In one respect, they're very much the same. How are they the same? In that they both conceal the divine. They both do not express their deep inner core. They both do not sense their deep inner core. Neither the physical body nor the spiritual animal soul expresses naturally or feels naturally their source, Hashem. On the other hand, they're very different because there's a huge amount of life force in the vivifying animal soul. And there's just a minimal amount of life force in the actual physical body, just as any inanimate object, which has a minimal amount of life force just to bring it into existence and maintain its existence. So in one respect, they're the same as far as concealment of the divine. In another respect, they're very different in amount of life force. And he said, this is true of mitzvah and kavana. Both of them are exactly the same in one respect. And that is, each of them is the will of Hashem. In that respect, there is no concealment of the countenance. There is true expression of Hashem. Hashem does not hide himself, neither in the act of the mitzvah, nor in the kavana of the mitzvah. But where are they different? They're different in how much this act of attachment, because a mitzvah is an act of attachment, kavana with a mitzvah, and that's specifically kavana with a mitzvah, because kavana without a mitzvah is nothing. But kavana with a mitzvah is an act of attachment. Within the body of the mitzvah, there's true attachment. But that attachment, if there's no kavana, is not sensed. 
very minimal sensation of the attachment. Within the kavana of the mitzvah, again, true attachment. And that attachment is totally sensed. The kavana that a person is having over here is I want to attach to Hashem. When he becomes cognizant of that, when that becomes his spiritual awareness, he feels this connection when he does the mitzvah. And in this connection, Hashem's will is manifest, shining. This supernal will illuminates the kavana of the mitzvah greatly, while it only has a small amount of illumination within the act of the mitzvah. Now the altar is going to bring a note from Kabbalah to support what he said. There's a few things that he is answering with this note. One thing that he's answering, one thing that he is coming to support, is the fact that there's a much greater amount of illumination within the kavana of the mitzvah than there is within the act of a mitzvah. Because we might have a question. We said that the most important aspect of the mitzvah is the act of the mitzvah. Act of the mitzvah without kavana amounts to something. It amounts to true connection to Hashem. Kavana without mitzvah doesn't amount to much, doesn't amount to attachment. So why is it that the supernal will shines so much more in the kavana than it does in the act? Apparently, or seemingly, it should shine much more in the essential component of the mitzvah, the act of the mitzvah, since that is the essential factor. And nevertheless, that's not the case. The supernal will shines so much more in the intention of the mitzvah, specifically the intention to cleave to him, than it does in the act of the mitzvah. So this note from Kabbalah is going to explain the source of it because everything has parallels. In fact, learning Tanya helps us realize that. It's really a unified existence. You know, we get so lost in this world of being pulled in so many directions and we have to come to realize the oneness. There's an amazing write-up of a private audience, two private audiences, written by the author of Nine and a Half Mystics, Herbert Wiener. He came to interview the Rebbe on two occasions. In the midst of their conversation, he said to the Rebbe, you know, I look at your chassidim, and they have this look in their eyes, like a naivety. Somebody who's going to be kind, we'll call it maybe tamimus, which means like, purity or innocence, but somebody who's not going to be that kindly might describe it as simple-mindedness or naivety. And in their simplicity, they look like they lack inner struggle. And the Rebbe said, what you see in their eyes, you know what's missing is kra. You don't see a kra. And he said, a kra. And he said, yeah, a split. You don't see a split in their eyes. And then the Rebbe turned to Herbert Wiener and said, you know, something tells me that you don't sleep very well at night. And that's not so good for Arichas Yamim, length of days, because you're trying to live in two worlds. But the Hasidim, the ones that you describe as having that simple look in their eyes, they don't have that. And truly, this is what we're trying to achieve in studying Tanya. On one hand, we could just divorce ourselves from the world. We could separate ourselves from the world and say, you know, I want to live a spiritual life. I'll climb to the top of the mountain. I won't deal with people. I'll meditate all day. That's not the point. The point is we need to live in this world, but we need to come from a higher realm 
and be the ones that allow the world to express its deep inner core. And when we live with this kind of vision, then we are blessed with that kind of innocence in our eyes. There is no split. Everything is unified. Whatever you're doing, even if it's a mundane task, it becomes holy because you are able to reveal the deep inner core of everything. So this is what we're working towards. And we're looking at this note right now to understand that the light shines much more profusely in the kavana of the mitzvah than it does in the act of the mitzvah. We're on page 12 in my printed booklet. Might be different in someone else's. Uchamaisha kasov be'etzchayim. Shekavanas ha mitzvahs vesal motaira, he be madregas or, veguf ha mitzvahs, hein madregais uvechinais kalem. It is also explained in Eitz Chaim that kavana in mitzvahs and entire study is on the level of light, while the body, meaning the performance of the mitzvahs, is the level and category of vessels. So we drew the pa- parallel of body and soul, mitzvah and kavana, and now the Alter Rebbe is drawing us into higher realms, into the world of Atsilas. This is the highest of all the worlds, and he's talking about lights and vessels. So briefly, like we discussed a few times at class, there are four worlds, one below the other. The highest of these worlds is the world of Atsilas. Atsilas isn't truly a world. Every world is creation ex nihilo, something from nothing. Atsilos is not yet creation. The Altarebbe calls Atsilos in the 49th chapter of Tanya, Elekos Mamish, godliness itself. What Atsilos is, is, it comes from the same word as Ne'etzal, to, as if take, take some, it's like an emanation of godliness. That highest world of Atsilos is emanation of godliness. What is the character? What is the theme? What is the essence of the world of Atsilas? It's to express the Ein Saif Baruch the infinite one. Blessed be he. Everything about that world is only to reveal and express the Ein Saif Baruch Hashem. So that world of Atsilas is not a creation for real. It is simply an emanation of Hashem. And everything about that world is in order to express him. In that world of Atsilas, there are Iris, which is lights, and Kalim, which are vessels. The lights of the world of Artsilas are there to emanate, to express Hashem's uncontained infinity, limitless, not able to be described. That, that's the light, raw, uncontained energy, truly expressing Hashem, that he is Pashat Petachos Hapshitos, simple as simple could be. The lights in the world of Artsilas are to express that. They are an illumination of Hashem's true infinity without any form or structure. The vessels of the world of Atsilas, and these are the ten sefiris, Chachma, Bina, Da'as, Chesed, Gvor, Teferas, Netzach, Haidi, Said, Malchus, these ten sefiris are the vessels of the world of Atsilas. They too are here only to reveal Hashem's greatness. But their way of revealing Hashem's infinite greatness is by giving this greatness as if a form or a structure. So while within the light of Atsilas, Hashem's infinity is expressed in a completely limitless, boundless, uncontained, undescribed way, when it comes to the vessels of Atsilas, they too are there to manifest the Ein Seif. However, the way they manifest the Ein Seif is by limiting, limiting, confining to structures, 
So even though the world of Atzilus is way beyond anything we could ever imagine, the Alter wouldn't even be able to say the word Atzilus. We who don't have a concept could just say the word. When he would write it, he would write Atzi and then make a apostrophe. He wouldn't write the rest of the word. And when he referred to it in talking, he would say Ibn above. He just couldn't say it. That world is so sublime, we have no concept. Everything about that world is in order to express him. The Kalim, the vessels of the world of Atzilus, for example, the Chachma of Atzilus is infinite. On the other hand, it's limited because it's being, Hashem's greatness is being expressed as Chachma as not as something else. When it is expressed as Bina, it's infinite Bina. But the Bina is expressed as Bina. Hashem's infinity is expressed in Bina and not in something else. So there's two aspects that we're talking about from the world of Atzilus. Both of them are there to manifest Hashem's infinity, but in very different ways. The light is there to manifest his infinity as it were, just as it is. The vessels are there to express his infinity by giving definition to that infinity. Both the light and the vessels are completely united with Hashem, as it is written in the introduction to the Tukune Zaihar. He and his life-giving emanations are one. He and his causations are one in them. Hashem is truly united with the lights of Atzilus. He is truly, or let's say the other way, the lights of Atzilus are truly united with Hashem. The vessels of Atzilus are truly united with Hashem. In that way, they're exactly the same. In the way they manifest Hashem's greatness, they are so different. The light manifests his greatness in a completely raw, uncontained, limited way. No definition. The vessels express his greatness by giving form and structure, as it were, to his greatness. So now they become constricted, defined. So the Eitz Chaim is telling us that the kavana in the mitzvahs and the kavana of Talmud Torah is of the level of light. It's drawing this parallel. The kavana comes from the light. The body of the mitzvahs come from the level of kalim, vessels. So we can understand what the Alter Rebbe said over here. That the kavana has a much greater manifestation of light because this is the source. Yes, we can think on a certain way, maybe the act should have more light. Maybe we should feel it more strongly in the act. They're both Hashem's will. But because the act is the main component, maybe we should feel that attachment more greatly in the act. But no, that's not the source. The source of the act is vessels. The source of the kavana is light. And so therefore, just as there is a much greater manifestation in light than there is in vessels, there is a much greater manifestation of the divine will in the kavana and the intention than there is in the act or speech of the mitzvah. And there is a specific kavana that we're supposed to have because there's many kinds of kavanas. The one kavana that is considered the soul, the one kavana that is coming from light is the general kavana to attach to Hashem. It's not any of those specific kavanas and it's not necessarily even the meaning of the words. There's a story that I read in my kid's Parsha book about this guy who used to read Az Yashir. This is the song that the Jewish people sing as they crossed the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. And he used to read it, Shvi Shel Pesach, the seventh day of Pesach, which is when the Jewish people crossed the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. He tried so hard to put himself into the word so he could really feel the experience. 
So they said about him, when he reads Az Yashir, when he sings this song that Moshe sang with the Jewish people as they crossed the Yamsuf, he was so overtaken by feeling the experience, imagining the, the hoofbeats of the horses and imagining the roaring of the ocean, feeling the water, he lifted up the hem of his cloak. And they repeated the story to Rabbi David Svichain, the Radatz. He was the Rav of Chernigov. And he said, listen, if that man would have proper kavana in Azashir, he wouldn't even realize he was reading, wearing a cloak. And he certainly wouldn't care if his cloak got wet because of the divine revelations, the amazing divine revelations that happened at Kriyas Yamsuf. It said that when the Jews crossed the, the sea, a lowly maidservant had divine revelations at the Sea of Reeds greater than the revelations of the prophet Yechaskel. So if he truly was in tune to the experience of Kriyas Yamsuf, he would have felt the divine revelations. So was he having Kavana? Yeah, he was having Kavana. He was imagining the meaning of the words, but it was a very sensory experience. That kind of kavana is kavana. That kind of kavana is important to the mitzvah, but it enhances the body of the mitzvah. The kavana that we're talking here is that, is that intention that I'm doing this to cleave to Hashem. And that kind of kavana is the soul of the mitzvah. And that kind of the kavana is rooted in light, which means manifestation. So when a person has that kind of manifestation, when a person is in touch with kavana, they feel the attachment within their soul when they're doing the mitzvah because it's all, everything is parallel and that's rooted in light. Now the altar is going to describe what is kalim? What are vessels? Sheheim bechina simsum sha'ayedet simsum ha'ar nishavu ha'kalim. These vessels represent contraction for it is through contraction of the light that the vessels came into being. So here's, let's, let's first talk a little bit more about lights and vessels, and then let's understand what this means. Okay, so everything is made up of light and vessels. In the human, it's body and soul. In the mitzvah, it is mitzvah and kavana. Even with our, within our own experience, as humans, besides just body and soul, our soul has the power for vision. But there's a part of our body, body through which we access that vision, what contains the vision, and that's the eyes. So... There is the light, which is the power to see, but then there are the eyes that contain and allow us to access the power of vision. Everything has light and vessels. In a more abstract way, if we're going to talk in theory, let's take somebody like Albert Einstein, okay? Albert Einstein comes to this brilliant, genius theory that he understands in pure abstract form. Most of us are going to listen to him. We will not understand what he's saying. But lucky for Albert Einstein, he meets up with this genius, genius, brilliant student. And he says, I want to share with you this theory that I just figured out, this idea. And he shares the idea in pure abstract form. No explanations, no analogies, no metaphors. Exactly he, as he understands it, that's how he transmits this to the brilliant student. He is transmitting light. Most people cannot grasp the idea the way he grasps the idea. He wants to, Albert Einstein now wants to transmit this idea to a simple student. 
He can't just say it as it is. He might as well be speaking Chinese. He's not going to understand what he's saying. So we asked to translate this idea now by giving examples, explanations, metaphors, and that becomes vessels. Those are the vessels. The vessels now contain and direct the light, so this more simple student can understand the idea. Now. Going back to the world of Atzilas, this world of godliness, which is just about manifesting Hashem, there are the lights, the completely boundless, infinite, undefined manifestation of Hashem, and then there are the vessels. The Altar tells us what are the vessels. He's quoting from Eitz Chaim. He's bringing proof of Eitz Chaim that the vessels came about through the light. And let me actually read to you the words from the Eitz Chaim. Eitz Chaim is a work of Rabbi Chaim Vital. He wrote down the teachings of his teacher, the Arizal. So this is the teaching of the Arizal in Eitz Chaim. And he says, The ten sefiris, which are the, the vessels of the world of Eitz Chaim, were created by the spreading outwards of the Eitz Chaim himself. It is only that the light has become dense, and the vessels were created. So essentially, what are the vessels? The vessels are only a densification of the light. Esther, is that a word, densification? Is that a word? Let's just use it as a word. Because really, nisava means it was thickened, but there has to be a good way to say that in English. So the, the light was thickened, and it became vessels. What are vessels? All they are is a densification of the light. The vessels have nothing else to themselves besides the light. They are the light in constricted form. Going back to the analogy of Professor Einstein with the simple student, when he gives the analogies and the metaphors, is he giving him any new knowledge? He's not. He's just taking his brilliant, pure, abstract idea and condensing it to suit the mind of the simpler student. There's nothing new in the vessels that there isn't in the light. All there is to the vessels, from run respect, I see you looking at me like that, Sheila, a, a certain way, there is, there is something different in vessels, but this, it's not, that's not from a different topic. But just from what we're discussing now, there is nothing different to the vessels than there is in the light. All the vessels consist of, they're very makeup, they're very character, what are they? They're just light in condensed form. So really, both light and vessels are true attachment and manifestation of the divine, as we can see from the Eitz Chaim. At their source, they're the same. Vessels is light. Vessels are light, just in condensed form. Both of them are truly attached to Hashem. The way that these are manifest then becomes so different. Vessels are not light and light are not vessels. Yes, they are the same essentially, but as they become different entities, light expresses Hashem as he is. Total manifestation. You can feel it. It becomes a sensible experience, something that you can perceive. Vessels confine, limit, delimit, restrict. Both of them are about attachment. However, the way that attachment is felt is so different within the light and within the vessels. And then the Altar Rebbe says, 
as is known to the students of Kabbalah. And Rabbi Steinzel says this note is not for the masses. He writes this as a, to somebody who's already initiated in Kabbalah. He brings us up to higher realms, as is known to those who are familiar with esoteric wisdom. So let's summarize this note that we were privy to from the Eitz Chaim and understand why the Alta Rebbe brings it over here in this chapter of Tanya. The note tells us that the intention, the kavana in the mitzvah, and the intention, the kavana in Torah study, is of the level of the quality of light, while the, the body of the mitzvahs are in the level of vessels. And one more thing he says, he says, vessels are simply a contraction of the light. Through the densification of the light, that's how the vessels came about. So there's a few things that we are now understanding based on this note. One, yes, the divine illumination is much greater in the intention of the mitzvah than it is in the act of the mitzvah because it's sourced in light. In light, the manifestation is much greater than it is in vessels. So that's one thing that the Alter Rebbe brings proof for. Another thing he brings proof for is this idea that the light is greater in kavana above the act of the mitzvah, even though the act is the most important component because it is sourced in the light. So the kavana is sourced in the light and that's why the divine will shines much more strongly in the kavana of the mitzvah than it does in the act of the mitzvah. And another thing that he comes to tell us is what he stressed, what we stressed so many times in studying this chapter, that the attachment in both the act and speech of the mitzvah, as well as the kavana of the mitzvah are true and utter attachment, exactly the same. Just like in the world of Atsilas, both the light and the vessels are truly unified with Hashem, so too in this world, the act of the mitzvah and speech of the mitzvah, as well as the intention of the mitzvah, when it's accompanying the act of the mitzvah, are acts of true attachment to Hashem. In that respect, they're exactly the same. The only thing that's different is the sensation of the attachment, exactly how it is in the world of Atsilas. Both the light and the vessels are truly attached to him. The difference becomes in how manifest that attachment is. Chassidus calls the attachment of light to Hashem devekos nikeres, which means apparent attachment. And it calls the attachment of vessels to Hashem devekos biltini keres in apparent attachment. They are both attached. The way that attachment is sensed is very different. In the light, the attachment is truly manifest. It's overt, it's obvious, it's blatant. In the vessels, it is not blatant, but they are both true attachment. Same thing with mitzvah and kavana. Both of them are true attachment, but because of their sources, the manifestation of that attachment is very different. Kavana is sourced in light, which is overt, blatant, apparent attachment. Act or speech of the mitzvah is sourced in vessels, which is inapparent attachment. So they're both equal in attachment. The difference only lies in how much we sense and perceive the attachment. So that's for the Kabbalistic note from the Eitz Chaim. One more thing. This also proves that the kavana of the mitzvah is specifically this kavana. That kavana to attach to Hashem in the act. Because just as it is sourced in the light, and the light is general, limitless, undefined, 
The kavana is also general, limitless, and undefined, and it's that one kavana to attach to Hashem, not the, all the specific kavanas. This too is proven from the words of the Eitzchayim. That's what the great Hasidic mentor and scholar of Shmuel Granim Esterman points out in his notes on Tanya. Okay, now, moving into this next section. Have a story for you to break up the intensity and the abstraction. So there is a story of the Rebbe Maharaj. He had a chassid, Rebbe Ara. He was a, a great scholar, a warm chassid. He was a leader in his town. And every time he would come back from visiting the Rebbe Maharaj, he would come back and have a shear every Saturday night. Every Matzah Shabbos, there was a shear with Rebbe Ara. People would throng to the shul and he would teach them the chassidus that he learned from his Rebbe. And this would go on week after week. And the treat of this year was panis. What's panis? Panis is hot water, vodka, and sugar. So they would have a big samovar of panis. Everybody would come to shul, and he would teach them chassidus. One time, he goes to visit the Rebbe Maharash, and the Rebbe Maharash said, Oh, I hear you have chassidus and panis. You know, it's similar to Torah and tea, I guess. <laughs> I hear in your town, in Dakshis, there's chassidus and panis. You study chassidus and you drink panis. Tell me, what's the connection between chassidus and panis? And he figured, okay, I guess no more panis. So he comes back to town and he said, Shir is on, I have a lot of stuff to tell you, but no more panis, some of our closed. Unfortunately, the crowd dwindled. And the next time he came to the Rebbe Maharash, the Rebbe Maharash asked him, what's going on with your shear? And he was sorry to report that the crowd had dwindled. So the Rebbe Maharash said, oh, bring back the panas, as long as we're learning chassidus. So the main thing is, it has to get done. Is it nice that there's no ulterior motives? Of course it's nice, but the main thing is, let's get it done. We're learning it again and again. The main thing is, get the action done. Every single time, we would love to have true soul in the mitzvah. Every single time, we would love to be truly cognizant of the fact that this is an act of attachment to Hashem. But first of all, let's put the body of the mitzvah in place. Whatever it takes to get it there. If it's, if it's you know, panis, if it's tea, let's get it going. Okay, so now coming up to this next section. We learned that in the world, there are two general categories, and they are body and soul. If we're going to divide these two general categories into four categories, body is going to contain two categories, and that's going to be the inanimate and the vegetative. And soul is going to contain two categories, and that's going to be the human, the animal soul and the human soul. While it's true that when we're looking at the category of body, clearly inanimate is going to be in the category of body. But plant life, too, is going to be in the category of the body. Because even though there's some spirituality to a plant, it grows from being small to becoming larger. Its whole spirituality, all of its spiritual energy, is just about bodily growth. Taking the small body of the plant and making it larger. It doesn't have the experience of being an animal and definitely not of being a human being. So yes, there's more spirituality within a plant. You can see some soulfulness in a plant more than you can see an inanimate object. But nevertheless, both of these belong to the category of body. And then there's the category of soul. Within the category of soul, there are two beings who have a soul 
that gives them feeling, sensation, emotion, intelligence, certain level of intelligence to each of them. It's going to be the animal and the human. But there's a difference between animal and human. When it comes to an animal, it's all about its natural instincts. When it comes to a human being, it has freedom of choice powered by its intellect, by his intellect. Same too when we come to the categories of the body of the mitzvah and the soul of the mitzvah. Generally, there's two categories. There's the category of the body of the mitzvah, which is the act or the speech and thought of the mitzvah. And there's the category of the soul of the mitzvah, which is the intention to cleave to Hashem through this act or through these words. But more specifically, each of these categories is going to be subdivided into two. There's going to be just the physical act of the mitzvah is compared to inanimate. The speech and thought of the mitzvah is compared to plan. Speech has some level of soulfulness in it. When it comes to kavanah of the mitzvah, there's going to be two categories, and we're going to get into it more in more detail as we study this chapter. Okay. The Altarebbe now expands the analogy of body and soul to mitzvahs and kavanah. He states that just as in the analogy, all existence is classified into four categories, with two of them, mineral and vegetable, belonging in turn to the broader category of body beings, and two of them, animal and man, to the broader category of soul beings, so it is also with regard to the mitzvahs and kavanah. The Alter Rebbe now resumes the thought intercepted by the note above. They too, the mitzvahs and their kavanah, are differentiated into four levels. For the body of the mitzvahs themselves comp- comprises two levels, namely mitzvahs consisting of real action as opposed to speech, which is merely regarded as action. And mitzvahs performed with speech and thought, such as Torah study, reciting the Shema, praying, saying the blessing after meals, and other blessings. Both of these levels, action and thought and speech, are subdivisions of the category of the body of the mitzvahs. Okay, so the, just like the world is divided into four categories, mitzvahs are divided into four categories. Two of them belonging in the body realm, two of them belonging in the soul realm. And we're looking at the body of the mitzvahs, and there's two categories. One is actual action mitzvahs. Yes, speech as regarded as action, as we learned before, Akima Savasav Haivai Maisa, that the twisting of a person's lips constitutes action, but the Talmud calls it Maisa Zuta, minor act. The physical act is on the level of inanimate, the speech or the thought of the mitzvah is on the level of plant. We're looking at the body of the mitzvah. There's the, the, just the very act, and then there's the speech and the thought of the mitzvah. Because those mitzvahs that are speech speech mitzvahs, initially there should be thought. Initially, a person should think about the words that they're saying. After the fact, if they don't have proper thought in those mitzvahs, it's still considered a mitzvah. But really, they should consist of not just speech, but also of thought. Now, when it comes to those speech mitzvahs, some of them, in fact, are not considered a mitzvah if they don't have thought. Such as, as we learned at the beginning of this chapter, the first, the first verse of Shema. If a person says Shema Yisrael Hashem Lokeinu Hashem Achad, and if they were not thinking about what they were saying, that doesn't count. Also, the first 
blessing of the Shimona Esrei if they weren't thinking what they were saying. That doesn't count. And then there's something else, and that is the oral Torah. If a person studies oral Torah, they don't understand what they're learning. That's not a mitzvah. In contrast to the written Torah. In Hilchas Talmud Torah, the laws of Talmud Torah, and over there the Alter says that even an unlettered person who reads his morning breath, who reads his morning prayers, his morning blessings, and he makes the bracha on the he should make the bracha al He makes the bracha on the Torah before he reads the verses from the Torah that we say in morning blessings, like Yivarecha Ha Hashem, even though he doesn't understand what he's saying. And so too, when he's called up to the Torah to have an aliyah, he still makes a bracha on the Torah, even though he doesn't understand the words. Because when somebody just recites the words of Tanakh, they are fulfilling the mitzvah of Torah study. So even if they're speech, but without thought, because they can't understand what they're saying, they are fulfilling the mitzvah of Torah study. However, if a person studies the oral Torah and he does not understand what he's saying, that's not the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. However, the Altarba writes over there something really amazing. When does the above apply with regard to the written Torah, but with regard to the oral Torah, if one does not understand the meaning, his recitation is not considered as study at all. Nevertheless, one should engage in the study of the entire Torah, even those subjects that he cannot comprehend. For in the ultimate future, meaning the era of resurrection as evident from the passage of the Zohar that the Altar cited previously, he will be granted the possibility of understanding and grasping all the teachings of the Torah in which he engaged in this world, but which he did not comprehend because of his limited intellectual capacity. So true, somebody is studying sections of the oral Torah and they don't understand. It's not the mitzvah. Because when it comes to the oral Torah, the holiness is in, inheres in the concepts. When it comes to Tanakh, the holiness inheres in the letters and the words. When it comes to the oral Torah, the holiness inheres in the concepts. If a person doesn't grasp the concepts, they do not fulfill the, the mitzvah of Torah study. It's not considered study at all. So you can say, okay, whatever, I'm not going to study. I don't understand. No, keep trying. Because whatever you study now and you can't understand now, you'll be granted the understanding of what you studied in the ultimate future. So that was just to illustrate that there's mitzvahs that are made up of speech and thought, and some mitzvahs actually have to have thought. So that's the, that's the body of the mitzvahs, which are two levels. There are the actual mitzvahs, and then there's those mitzvahs which are performed with speech and thought. And now we're going to look at the kavana of the mitzvahs. The kavana ha mitzvahs l'davka bayisbarich, the kavana of the mitzvah, meaning one's intention to attach oneself to Hashem by performing the mitzvah, this, the kavana being like a soul for the body of the mitzvah, is likewise divided into two levels. Corresponding to the two levels of soul found in material bodies, namely in animals and man. Okay, so let's summarize this last section that we said, and that is, just as in the world, there are two general categories, body and soul, which are then further divided into four categories, inanimate, plant, animal, and human, so too when it comes to the mitzvahs. In general, a mitzvah is divided into two categories, the body of the mitzvah and the soul of the mitzvah. But we can further divide them into four categories. There's going to be actual action, 
physical action, and that's going to be corresponding to the inanimate. There's going to be those mitzvahs that are performed with speech and thought. That's going to be parallel to the category of vegetative. And then higher than that, within the kavana of the mitzvah, there's going to be two levels. Kavana that is on the level of the animal, the soul of the animal, and kavana that's on the level of the soul of the human being. So that's summarizing this last section. I want to summarize everything that we said in class today. And the altar brought a note today from the Arizal, written it up in Eitzchayim, where this correspondence comes from. This correspondence of mitzvah and kavana comes from the world of Atzilus, because the, the Rabbi Chaim Vital records in Eitzchayim that the kavana of the mitzvah is of the level of light, which is manifestation. The body of the mitzvah is on the level of vessels, which is something that limits and defines and gives structure to light. The attachment of both of them is exactly the same. The attachment of light with Hashem is true in one. The attachment of vessels with Hashem is true in one, but there's a difference in the way this attachment is manifest. When it comes to the manifestation of the light of Hashem, this is Devekos Nitkeres, apparent attachment. When it comes to the unification of the vessels with Hashem, this is Devekos Biltini Kara, inapparent attachment. Nevertheless, they're both truly attached. Same thing with mitzvah and kavana. Both of them are true attachment. It's just that within the act of the mitzvah, you can't necessarily see the attachment. Within the kav- we can't necessarily feel the attachment. Within the kavana of the mitzvah, we truly feel the attachment. And now moving into, we're going to look at how these four levels of inanimate, vegetative, animal, and human have their parallels within the mitzvahs. In the body of the mitzvah, the parallel is within the act is inanimate. The speech and thought is vegetative. And then when it comes to the soul of the mitzvah, there's likewise two categories, that of the animal, the soul of the animal, and that of the soul of the human being. And we're going to discuss this in greater depth, Be'ezra Hashem, next class, which is not next week, because next week I don't have class, but Be'ezra Hashem the week afterwards. So I'm opening up now for questions and discussion. I tried to get a lot of stories for class today, but the stories that I found were really good. They weren't necessarily directly related to class. I just want to tell you one story that I really love. And that is the story of the Hasid of Mendel Aranov. He was from, he lived in Toronto eventually. He started out in Russia. He lived well into his 90s. He was learned in Lubavitch, in Taim Chetimim Lubavitch, the original Lubavitch yeshiva. And he once goes to the yeshiva, which is across the street from him, Purim, when all the Bachim are for bringing. And he said, later on, I'm going to tell you a secret that we learned in our yeshiva. But he sat through the Fabringen. He kept quiet. He listened to everybody else's inspiration. He didn't share till the wee hours of the morning when most people left. And then finally he said, I'm going to tell you the secret that we learned in Lubavitch. He said, Lubavitch hat men eisgelernt. As men learnt nicht, men nicht. In Lubavitch it was taught that if you don't learn, don't know. <laughs> so at the end of the day, we always want the shortcut, but there are no shortcuts. There's so much that the Altimer wants to give us, but we have to actually take the time to study it. So I'm opening up now for questions and discussion. Thank you everyone for coming today. And I feel so blessed with all the cameras on. Yes, Jill. Question. Um, <clears throat> Make you louder. One second. Okay. It said that when you, oh, it yeah. said that Sometimes you have an intention and you're ready to do a mitzvah and you can't complete it. So it's said that because of the intention that it's as if you did the mitzvah, right? So how does that 
come together with all of this. Okay, so so let's look at the words very carefully, what it says. There's two (laughs) things that it says. The Talmud says, That means a good thought, Hashem, doesn't say he counts it that you did it. Hashem connects it to action. And the Altar explores this specific phrase in a very different way than it is understood literally. So one way of expressing it is that a good thought, Hashem as, considers it as if you did it, meaning he gives you the credit. Another thing that it says in the Talmud is, Aynes Rachamana Patri. If somebody was forced by forces beyond his control, he was, he was prevented from doing a mitzvah, he is forgiven. Hashem forgives him. If you look at the Talmud Yerushalmi, the commentators over there, they very specific with the words of the Gemara. They say, the word, the Gemara says, Aynes Rachamanapatre. That means that Hashem exempts somebody who was forced by forces beyond his control. But it's, they, they write, Aynes Kimanda Avid La Amrinan. Somebody who was prevented, who was forced, they don't say it's like somebody who did it. It's just like somebody who was exempted. So if somebody has positive intentions, they get credit for doing the mitzvah. They're definitely exempted from doing the mitzvah, but they don't have the connection that is forged through the mitzvah. And here will be an example. Let's say somebody, the the port didn't have the matzah on time, okay? So the person is not going to have matzah in time for his Pesach Seder. He wishes he's going to have the matzah. His whole heart is in the matzah. He's thinking, he's having the intentions, I want to have the matzah. He's not able to do the mitzvah. So Hashem gives him credit as though he did the mitzvah. He is exempted. He's, it's not like he did something wrong because he couldn't do the mitzvah. But suddenly, matzah becomes available to him. Are you going to say, he doesn't have to eat the matzah because Hashem already counted that he ate the matzah? No. He actually now has to go and eat the matzah because in this way, the true connection is forged. So he gets credit. He is exempted but the connection that's forged through the mitzvah, that only happens through the actual mitzvah. 